0: Another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world and the changing times and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't dictate it, It's almost always the case during my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas. And if you're noticing anything different about the audio quality of today's show already, it's because uh, my headset is not in the car. And I had to revert back to the days of the old lapel microphone. So it's probably not going to be as good audio quality as you've come to expect lately. Uh, It's going to be much more like some of the shows in the very beginning were. And I apologize for that. But I also know my audience, and I figure you guys would prefer a show with some background noise to no show at all today. Today's show is episode 151. And what I want to talk to you about today, is just basically, how do you get it all done? Because when a new person or even an experienced person starts looking at all the things that you want to do in order to get your lifestyle into a more self-sufficient, debt-free, ready-for-anything from the apocalypse to a minor emergency status... You look at it, you go, "Wow, uh, I, I just don't even know where to start." And where do I find the time? Is a big one, and I get this question at least once a day. I get some version of the question: "How, how do you start, or where, where do I find the time, and how do you start?" I, I have some shows from the beginning. I usually recommend, but you know, finding the time is really more about how you think. I want you to realize that there's people out there that are at all levels of preparedness, and every one of them gets up every morning and has the same number of hours to the day that you do. Uh, Most people have to work a job, they work for a living, they drive to work, just like I'm doing right now, uh, but yet they get more done. And to me, it's one le- one thing that really helps is organization, but I- I'm really, just to be honest with you, completely pathetic at organization. I have terrible organizational skills, and I let a lot of things slip here and there, but what I've learned is I usually don't let things slip when they're important to me. For instance, I get on this mic, and I do this show every weekday, no matter what, and it takes some type of a, a, a technology disaster uh, where it just doesn't work, or it takes, Uh, on rare occasions if my voice is just gone from allergies or colds or something and I just can't deliver, that's what it takes to get me not to do that. And I've learned that most people do that with everything in their life. So part of it is going to be getting your mentality around how important these things really are and you'll start to force them then into areas of priority and getting them done. But I'd also like to talk about how to allow your daily life just to give to some of the different areas without really setting aside time for it. One of the biggest things that we tell people, that we're really heavy on telling people about the survivalist community, is you need to store food in your home. Now, I was talking to my wife this weekend while we were working on some video work that we've done for the premium members area, and I'll, I'll talk about that real briefly at the end. But she was saying, I understand why a lot of people don't get it. They just can't conceive of needing to store anything beyond, you know, next week. Because when you go to grocery stores and you look around, you see so much abundance. Now, that's not her being naive. That's her playing devil's advocate for the the people that don't get it. But my response to her was, but, you, you know, you realize what happens if, you know, we don't have Armageddon, we don't have flu pandemic. Let's just say that this summer or next summer, uh, fuel prices start to rise again. We start to see a pinch in the capacity demand curve between oil production and, and fuel output. And it runs the price of fuel up to 5 bucks this time or 6 bucks this time, which I think the next time fuel makes a run, I don't know when it's going to start, but it's going to go beyond beyond what happened last time. It's going to make the highest run we've ever seen. And the only reason I believe that is every time fuel's made a run, it's always reached a new high. So when that happens, let's say that we're in a recession, we're in a down economy, money's buying less, and the truckers get pushed just as far as they did last time, and, and one degree more. Because the truckers, this summer, were about 1% away from saying, screw it, my, running my rig now costs me more did I make They were so close to that And when you get to that point The only thing you can do is say You know what, I don't care how much I need the money It's costing me money to be on the road I'm, I'm, I'm better off Parking my rig and waiting For fuel prices to come down And that would basically be a trucker's strike So if the trucker's went on strike For let's say two to three weeks and all these grocery stores around you didn't get resupplied, how long do you think it would take for them to begin to get wiped out? The first thing is the least prepared would panic first, and they would go out and buy tons of food that don't really make a lot of sense, like they would buy like 50 loaves of bread or something like that. They would have to start rationing almost immediately, but sooner or later the shelves would be practically bare. Now. Let's say after three weeks and if things are starting to get really lean and there's not a lot of food out there and it's you can survive, but it's uncomfortable. The truckers go back to work. They decide, okay, we've come to some kind of a deal. The government steps in. I don't know what happens, but it's only three weeks long, which would be a relatively short strike. You would think that all of a sudden you're just going to flip a switch and the distribution system's back on and all the food's there. The problem is you've got now congestion at a part of the system. Wherever the food was being shipped to or stored first is overstocked. Some of it's probably laying in the fields rotting. And you can't just turn the switch back on. So you'd be a two to three week minimum period of time to kind of get everything back to circulating again. And then we would have a probably four to six month period of elevated food prices. So the first thing I'm trying to do with food storage is make it important to you and make you understand how even a very small, seemingly not that big a deal occurrence can affect the food supply from your local grocery store. And then just start to run some other scenarios in there. Start to run, the government locks us down because of a flu pandemic for 90 days and these other things. You start to realize what's there. The other thing you need to realize is that the food in your home, if you're buying the right kinds of food or what you eat, eat we you store. Our assets. They're just as good as money in the bank. So when somebody says, Well, I'm afraid to spend my money on food, I think I should keep it in the form of money. My question is always, Well, you're gonna eat the food eventually, right? So if you're buying a thousand dollars worth of mountain house, you know, freeze dried eggs or something, uh, if you want to take that route, again I'm not coming I never come down on anybody's decision. You have to make your own decisions for your own life. But I can see somebody saying, Yeah, I don't I think I really need a thousand dollars worth of freeze fried eggs and potatoes. Uh, and, and I would happen to agree with that person. But if you're buying things like uh, pancake mix and uh, beans and pasta and rice as your core and uh, different canned foods and different frozen foods and you're, you're creating this kind of plethora of food that you would eat anyway. And then you need money. Well, you take the money that you would normally spend on the grocery budget that week and you use it to backfill because you don't need to go to the grocery store because that's what your preps are for. They're not just for the end of the world as we know it. They're not just for complete catastrophe. They are for whenever you need them because of an emergency in your life including the emergency that a lot of people are going through right now of unemployment. And a lot of these people that are unemployed today, they were making really good money a few months ago. If they had stocked up six months' worth of food, and just done that, they would be in such a better shape today because they would have a six-month period of reserves to draw from while they're looking for a new job, and it's one less thing to worry about. And when you're in that situation, everything you have to worry about Adds to the weight and the burden. So how do we make, now that we've built the case for why this needs to be done, how do we make this easier? Where do we find the time? Well, storing food's one of the easiest ones, folks. Start out with just clearing a spot of junk. There's got to be one in your house somewhere that's secure, dark, and climate-controlled. Just a little space, a little area. Every week when you go to the grocery store, append to your list three, four, five items, whatever you can afford to do that are going to go into that storage that are food that you would eat anyway. And when you get home, take those items right off your list. Here they are, right in front of me. These are the ones I bought today. Put them in that space. Just do that for a couple months. Eight weeks later, you'll be amazed at how much food is sitting in there that you can use for the future. From there, you start to organize and start looking for holes in it. Go ahead and take some of that food out and cook a meal with it. And go, what's missing? What would make this meal better that also would store? Right. So what I'm saying is don't be pulling meat out of the freezer now. Pull straight from your storage and, and cook a meal completely from your storage, one meal after you've built up that initial reserves. Make sure you put that on your list, whatever you use for replacement, week, but ask yourself a question. How could I have made this meal better with a product that would not need to be frozen or refrigerated? What could I add to this meal? If you start doing that and eat one meal a month out of your storage, you'll fine-tune it over time and, and realize that that's the way to approach all this stuff. It's like the ant. right? The ant and the grasshopper is the story that we use to convey how important saving up for cold, bitter times are, whether they're economic Or natural disaster, or whatever. And the ant, you know, the ant worked all summer while the grasshopper loafed around and played. Now, the grasshopper ate his daily food every day from the abundance. The ant ate his daily food every day from the abundance. But he took just a little bit of extra food every day inside and he stored it in his nest. And when winter came, that little incremental effort all through the summer added up for enough to sustain the ant and his family through the winter. And, of course, we've stopped telling our children the truth when we tell this story in, like, grade school and in kindergarten and his parents. Now all the books about the ant and the grasshopper say the poor grasshopper was freezing to death and the ant took him in the house and fed him. And then after that, the grasshopper learned his lesson. It's not the real story. When you tell your kids the story, folks, you tell them the story, the way it happened. The grasshopper dies. He freezes to death. And honestly, the ant probably cuts him up in little pieces and hauls him into his den because ants eat grasshoppers. That's not really a good metaphor for how we should treat the unprepared, but it's a harsh metaphor for how life treats the unprepared. So you take the philosophy of the ant and all these things, little, tiny, incremental steps. Let's look at another one. This is one that takes up a lot of time for people. This is the one I get the most questions about with time, gardening. How do you find the time with everything else you have to do to garden? Well, one, develop passion for it. Again, understand that the garden that you build for yourself is an asset. It's something that produces for you year in and year out over and over again. Probably the first year out of a bed, it's not going to produce that great. second year, it's going to produce a lot better. And By the third year, you've got real production going on if you're following good practices. But once you've reached that point, it keeps getting easier and easier and easier. Every year, what you have to do to keep production up it's easier because once you build a certain number of beds, then you don't need any more beds because you have enough space to produce whatever level you're comfortable with. The other thing with gardening is, again, to see gardening is an incremental task. Everything other than when you're putting a bed in, you basically just have to work until you're done. And uh, you might be taking a break or something, but you really do kind of have to just, you know, you're not going to get anywhere until it's completely finished and filled up and ready to go. But once you plant, then it's time to take the incremental approach. This is what I mean by that. The mistake people make with their gardens is they're going to work on them on the weekends. So seven days is a lot of time for things like weeds to invade your garden. Now if you come home every night and take five to ten minutes and go out with a garden hoe, And just hoe back any weeds that you see starting to emerge while they're tiny. You might have to do a little bit of more of a major upkeep on your weekend, but it's going to be a hell of a lot less. It's going to be a hell of a lot easier. Maybe it's thirty minutes. So that's one big way. Another thing is to develop some sort of automation into what needs to be done. Once we get out of this part of the year, and the people in the South, right now, like me, are lucky we can garden. you're going to get into a point where you have to water a lot more frequently because it gets hotter and it starts to dry the ground out faster. And even if you have good mulch, you know, you have to do a lot of watering. Well, one way is to put either, you know, soaker hose or drip irrigation in, and that's nice, but if you really want to, to, to look at a way to do this with, by maximizing your time, set that up, you probably have to run your hose out, connect it to your system, turn it on. There's some efficiency loss because I don't care, when you run a hose that far, you always have some dripping from your hose here and there, different things like that. You have to turn it on, you have to set a duration of time, and then come back in and shut it off. Now, one of the solutions I've heard is using a timer system to do it for you, but again, then you've got this, you know, first of all, it's a piece of technology that can fail, and second of all, you always have these, like I said, issues with leaky hoses when you're running that much. Plus, unless you're burying a hose, if your garden's pretty far from your hose or from your water source, you've got distance to contend with, you've got a hose laying there. What if you just set up a bunch of five-gallon buckets at the end of your rows and put in the bottom of them a hole, and into that hole you put a fitting. Onto the end of that fitting, you put a piece of drip irrigation hose, like right, a little plastic hose that's got the tiny little pinholes in it. You run those from your bucket, maybe you run two rows out of each five-gallon bucket, and then all and you, you get the cheap buckets, because you don't need good quality buckets for this, with a lid so that there's no problem with evaporation. Watering your garden now will consist of coming out, taking your garden hose, filling all of your buckets up, setting the lids on top of them, they don't need to be sealed, just set the lids on top of them, shut the hose off, put it away. And the garden slowly waters itself at a perfect level. Now, if you soak a hose for this, you're not going to have enough pressure to really get a good watering. But soaker, uh, the uh, the drip irrigation tubing will water perfectly with it. So that's just one, a couple ways to look at your gardening. But again, little bits over time. A new bed here, a new bed there. Keep improving your soil. Make sure you're, you're building your composting. Composting takes almost no time at all once you get a place established to put your compost. It's all your refuse from your kitchen that's not meat, but it's not protein-based. Anything that's organic it'll break down, you throw it in the compost pile. Whenever you do yard work, you throw your clippings, your leaves, whatever, in your compost pile. In time, it takes care of itself. One of the little uh, things that'll help you with your composting when you don't feel like going outside, when you just chopped up let's say, peeled a bunch of potatoes. And you have those potato leaves. Get some sort of a container. I use the Big Red Folgers plastic coffee containers with sealable lids. And I just keep one of those under the sink. And Every time I have stuff with a compost pile, I pitch it in there, and then once or twice a week I go outside and I dump it. Does it smell a little bit? Yeah, but with the cap on it, you don't notice it. It doesn't smell out into the kitchen. And uh, if you throw, if you really worry about smell, throw a lemon wedge in there, uh, and that'll uh, that'll deal with that as well. So that's kind of how to bring gardening into this. Now let's look at things like projects. These are the big ones, uh, especially with guys. We get like multiple projects going. And when I'm talking about projects, I'm talking about things. Okay, let's let's go back to gardening for a second. Putting in a new raised bed or building a solar oven or something that I'm going to do this year, building a solar dehydrator or building a a storage shed. Any type of construction projects. what I'm talking about. Where do you find time for that? And that is kind of your weekend project usually. But a lot of times, if you set up a project right and kind of stage it out right, you can do maybe 30 minutes at a time during the week after hours when you come home. And a good thing about all your time being consumed with this, what ends up happening is you live a different life than most Americans. All of your extra time, or spare time, or whatever you want to call it, is spent building assets for yourself and your household and your future, while everybody else spends their spare time vegging out in front of television sets or shopping and spending money. So in other words, the things that you do don't cost money, they save money. Even when you spend money, you're investing it in your own household, where your neighbors going out and blowing money, and you got neighbors like my yuppie neighbors, who we've asked them to go out to eat, mom drives one of these Lexus SUVs, uh, dad's got this gorgeous car, they've also got a Porsche they keep in the garage you never see, but they never have any money to go out and have, you know, a couple drinks and a steak, so that is the, the, the difference that you're making for yourself, and if you see it that way, again, you'll make it important. Here's something that I don't think most people realize about your construction projects and why they're important. It's not just that you do it. It's not just that you end up with the end product and whatever. Like a solar oven that you maybe cook your meals on your weekends with or cook one meal a weekend on and you don't spend the electricity or other fuel source to do it. Or a solar dehydrator that you take the surplus out of your garden, you dehydrate it, and you create your own long-term storage food. Those are great results and they're good reasons to do it. But the bigger thing is every time you build something, you teach yourself how to better build things. You exercise your mind. It's like exercising your body. Only here you're exercising, and you're developing your skill set. You're getting better at simple things like driving a nail or using a handsaw. And if you, I want you to try to think back, especially guys, usually when they're little kids, they go try to build stuff. And I want you to think: Did you ever, when you were a little kid, take your daddy's crosscut or rip saw or whatever, a handsaw, and try to cut a board with it, and end up spending 15 minutes fighting it to get that board cut because you just hadn't really gotten that smooth, slick, gentle gliding technique down with a handsaw yet. And the answer is probably yes. I know I did it. I'm talking like eight years old. I was trying to build, you know, ramps to drive my bicycle over, and trying to cut a two by four in half. Took me half, you know, half an hour to do it. Today I picked that two by four up. And I think most people know how to use a handsaw to do the same thing. Set it down, mark the line, draw back once or twice to get my cut started, and I could be through a two x four with a cro- good crosscut saw in a few seconds, almost as fast as you could probably do it with a power saw. Honestly, uh, at least for the first few cuts until you start to get some fatigue. Where does that come from, though? Why why can that grown man cut that board so quickly, and that little boy takes so long to cut the same board? It's not strength, because anybody that's ever used a crosscut saw knows if you try to force it, it binds. All it is is the grown man has cut a lot more boards. He's developed that technique. Well, why is it the, the young man or you know even an older person who's never really swung a hammer much in his life tries to drive a ten penny nail into a four by four, and it's going sideways and crooked, and the hammer's glancing off, and it just doesn't seem to work. And a guy that's had some experience with a hammer walks over, flap, 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 and it's in four shots. The same size hammer, and the guy that's driving the nail straight in looks like he's putting no effort at all. Because there's a the technique to swinging a hammer. You allow the weight of the hammer to do the work. And all these other little things about building things, from how to fit wood together. You cut wood, you think you're going to build a box, you cut one side too long because you didn't account for the depth of the other piece of wood, or you cut the other side too short. You make mistakes, you have to start over, you reduce the size of your project. You put the wood away, you use it as scrap for something in the future, And you have to go buy more wood because you've made a mistake. But it's taught you. You've learned a new technique. And you've used your creativity and your mind, which is your most valuable survival asset. So your projects, your importance there is beyond just what they'll do for you, but developing the skill, how to build, how to engineer, how to design, how to think. That's the importance. Now, when you get them done, projects you get are the ones that you you do kind of set your Saturday afternoon aside for. But just understand two rules about projects. They don't have to be completed the day you start them, but finish them before you start your next one. You follow that rule, your life will get a lot easier. And, you know, kind of leave things in a nice, organized way to come back and pick up right where you left off. Uh, And guys, I'll tell you what, my projects always go better if I have a cold beer or two while I do them. Not too much more than that, or maybe my quality of construction goes down. Um, Things like your bug out bag, putting that together, I think it's one of the first projects that a new survivalist needs to uh, get done because it's the thing that's going to sustain you if you get caught with your pants down, so to speak. You're away from home, or even you're at home, but you have to leave, uh, and you need to be able to take care of yourself for at least three days. You know, don't make this like you know having a mortgage at your house to come up with the greatest bug-out bag in the world. Get a decent bag and start putting your kit together. There's an episode at the very beginning of this season, uh, or the last year uh, show that goes through all the items on a bug Bug out, uh, kit. There are tons of forum threads out there in all different survival forums about bug out bags to get ideas from other people. We have a great one on our forum. Check that out. Make a list of what you want. Put it in an order of what you'll use first and need most and just slowly start to add to it. And anytime you need to use something out of it, think, how would it have been better if I would have had something else? Append that to your list and just slowly build it up. Here's what you need to realize. Most people, when they get into this mentality, unfortunately for them, are in their late 20s to early 30s when they really decide to do something about this. And uh, there's fortunate people. There's some young folks I know that are 15, 16 years old that listen to this show that are already setting their lives up this way. It's going to be Much easier for you. But when you're 28, um, you've had at least, if not more, 10 years of living life kind of, you know, work, spend, just kind of going lackadaisical carefree uh, to some degree independently and on your own. And whatever hole you're in took you 10 years to get in. So expecting to get yourself completely extricated from that hole in a month is insane. It's not possible. It'll probably take you two to three years to completely extricate yourself from a good hole that you spent ten years digging if you were really digging. Maybe it's six months, maybe it's twelve. I don't know. You have to decide that for yourself. But if you keep that mentality of you're the ant, you do a little bit extra every day, a little bit extra every day. You're paying down debt, you pay a little bit extra every day. Every time some free money comes up, you're either investing it in your assets, For your lifestyle, or you're paying down debt with it. A little bit every day, a little bit every day. One cut here, another cut there. That expense has now become an asset, it's a cash flow, now it's going against your debt. You do that slowly over time. You do the same thing when you're putting your bug-out bag together. Once you have your bug-out bag together, you really start working on your bug-out vehicle. Now here's two pieces of advice I'm going to tell you. If you don't have these done, though I think they should be done today, in fact three. One is your vehicle, in your vehicle, you should have basic tools. A basic set of hand tools and at least things like jumper cables uh, so that you can jump a if you're stuck or if somebody else is stuck That's one Number two In your vehicle you absolutely should carry At least a couple of gallons of preserved fuel at least, two, you know, you have one of those little two-and-a-half-gallon cans, fill it up with gas or diesel. The, the You guys that are all worried about stabilizing every ounce of fuel that's not in your car, you know, fuel will stay just fine for a month or two. You don't even have to worry about it. Every one or two months, take that, that can of fuel. When you're fueling up, dump it in your car first, fill your car or your truck, and then fill the can back up. Carry reserve fuel. You, you, you know, if you ever get in a situation where you just brain fart, You don't realize you needed to fill up. Can you imagine sitting in a highway, five, six, seven lanes, one of these big highways, at rush hour, out of gas? It really would suck. And something as simple as a few dollars worth of fuel and a few dollars for a good fuel can can prevent that from ever being you without a way to get out of there. It also will allow you at times, and I've done it more than once, to save somebody else's backside. And you want to help where you can. You really don't want to leave some poor lady. And I, one time I found a lady pulling a U-Haul trailer with a baby and a toddler in the car with her. Me and a friend of mine, we were working construction at the time, and uh, we had fuel just because we, we needed it for the construction vehicles. And uh, as we, pulled, we, we kind of went by, we didn't realize that there was anybody in the vehicle, and as we went by, we looked over, and we saw her, and she was crying. You could tell she was just distraught. She didn't have any idea what to do it was kind of a bad part of town it was probably a long way for us it took us about you know 10 minutes because of where we were to be able to make a u-turn come back up the highway and get to her we came we pulled over we filled up her car she said the only thing she had on her cash was a 20 and did we want it said no man just pass it on but if you don't carry fuel you can't be that person And trust me, if you want to give our community a better image and you want to attract more people, you want to be that person that can take care of those things. The third thing you need to have in your vehicle actually doesn't go in your vehicle. It goes to your wallet or for ladies, your purse. It's a AAA card. Now, a AAA card isn't some big, sexy, survival piece of gear. But I'll tell you what. It's helped my son twice with his used vehicle. Get him out of some pretty uh, annoying—I wouldn't call it dangerous—just just pretty tough spots. Where uh, you, see, you know, somewhere in the car, he's had this electronic ignition problem with this uh, this Pontiac Grand Damn used car that he bought, uh, where the key has a chip set in it and it matches the ignition, and something would get lost in the communication there, and the car just wouldn't start. He's had it twice towed from locations that would have cost an awful lot of money, and he was really stuck, and they towed him and they gave him a ride home. And uh, my wife and I were both at work both times, and there was no way we could have went and got him. So that AAA card could have bailed me out. It could have bailed my wife out. When I had an accident, I had an accident last year. You know, it saved me a ton of money on towing, and uh, I was able to get on the phone with AAA and have a wrecker on the way uh, before I would have ever had a wrecker on the way from the city uh, and gotten their bill. So a AAA card, I know, again, it doesn't sound like an AR-15. It's not. But if you drive a lot, if you're in your vehicle a lot, it may be infinitely more valuable. And that's something that doesn't take a lot of time. And To me, it's the cheapest form of insurance you can have uh, for your travels. Another thing that people wonder about: How do you? How do I know so much about the politics of the world and economics and things like that? And that is primarily because I listen to what's going on around me. I pay attention at least once or twice a day. I go to finance.google.com and just look at what's going on. I monitor Fox News and things like that. And I just drop that into my day. Just when I t- instead of taking a break and, and and going out and smoking a cigarette like other people do and destroying my lungs, I'll pull up you know Google. Fox Finance and just look at what's going on, and that helps me make decisions about what to do with my business. In addition to how to run my life, I also listen to good radio shows. I'm a big fan of Glenn Beck. I've mentioned him a lot. He's probably my most uh, my most favorite mainstream media guy, and he's probably the closest to what we talk about here. Uh, you can listen to him on on your computer while you work. If you don't, if you're not in a car while his show's going on, uh, I try to DVR his show at least once a week and watch it at home uh, while we eat or something like that, I'll, I'll kind of let, let that run in the background and just kind of scan it and say, is there anything I need to pay attention to? Uh, I put this show out for the same reason, so that you can continue to educate yourself about everything in survivalism, from debt reduction to the economy, uh, to politics to bug out bags, to all these different things, and since it's a podcast, you can listen to it anytime you want. So, finding ways to use technology to keep that education process going all the time is important. And and then let's not forget the importance of being in good physical condition, being in good physical shape. I think that this is one of these things that, you know, we have a fitness product for everything anymore. We've turned into human gerbils, stair climbers, treadmills, exercise bikes, on and on and on it goes. And people are converting rooms of their houses into gyms. And I'll admit it, we even did it. I did it because my wife wanted one. But do you know the number one thing that you can do to get yourself in better shape, lose weight, be in better physical condition, better emotional condition, better all-around condition, period? that's absolutely free, that won't have a dramatic, you know, you won't lose 16 pounds in 16 days or anything like that with it, but will have that ant effect and very slowly, incrementally, over time, over a year, make you in better shape than most people in this country. Walking, that's it. That's all it takes. And, uh, you know, you can make it as strenuous or as easy as you want, but just taking a walk every day. And there's more than one way to do that. Uh, Usually at lunchtime what I do is uh, I go eat my lunch away from the office just because if I don't get out of there for a little bit every day, I'm ready to snap my gasket. And uh, the people that work for me really wouldn't like me uh, if I got you know irate every day, and they'd probably quit on me and leave, and I got good folks, so to keep my head clear, I go away from the office, and pretty much, unless I have a, a, a business lunch or something like that, I get away from everybody, and I eat rather quickly in my car, and I usually bring something, you know, you know usually a salad or something like that, and I'll go somewhere like Home Depot or Lowe's when the weather's bad, or even sometimes when the weather's good, too hot, too cold, uh, or Walmart or any place like that, I just walk the store and I look at things on the shelves and I'm I'm actually thinking as a survivalist, how could I use this? How could I use that? What could this do for me? What could that do for me? I don't really spend much money. I hardly ever buy anything when I do this. But if you think about the size of these stores, like a Lowe's or a Home Depot, it's easy to walk a half mile to a mile inside a Lowe's or a Home Depot just looking at things. Since you're looking at things, you don't even think about the fact that you're exercising. But when you're moving your body, you're exercising, whether it's your intent or not. This is why our ancestors, you know, our Our grandfathers and grandmothers never had gymnasiums. They never worked out. They never lifted weights because they worked all the time, and that work was exercise. They didn't sit behind computers. Very few people 60 years ago in America had a job where they spent more than an hour a day sitting. Today I'd say most Americans have jobs where they spend more than an hour a day sitting down. And if you don't, don't take offense to that. I understand there's people that still out there swinging a hammer. And, 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 you know, sometimes I really miss the days when I did it too. I actually got a lot more satisfaction out of that than being behind a computer desk. Um, but that's the reality today. So it worked for them. It'll work for you too. So start looking at how you can add walking to your daily life. It's not that big of a step. Anybody can do it. People do it every day. You do it every day. Just do it a little bit more and do it as a sustained fashion. And put a little bit of speed and bump into your walk. Don't walk real slow, loafing. Keep your shoulders up, keep your head up, and breathe as you walk, in through the nose, out through the mouth. You'd be amazed what that will do for you. Some of the other exercises I like to do pull-ups, dips, and hitting heavy back. that's more of your conventional exercise. But walking is the number one thing that you can do today. It'll cost you absolutely nothing, that'll be investing in your body for tomorrow. And from a survival mentality. It may be the best exercise that you can get. The number one physical exertion that you may have to do in a real shit hit the fan scenario other than if you end up in some kind of tactical gunfight or something like that, but let's be realistic. That's possible. You should prepare for it. You should get as much education and training as possible, Uh, but those things are generally short duration. Gunfights generally don't last very long. They usually last until somebody's dead. They're short um, uh, physical Physical exertion that's involved you're usually running on adrenaline initially and then they end dramatically and hopefully you are victorious but you're not going to usually be on a gunfight where you're going to be covering 50 miles while you're doing it that's that's a soldier's world and if you're a soldier you have to train for that but as a civilian you're training to defend your home and defend yourself and defend those around you But the survival situation you could be in is you're trying to get back to your bug out location or back to your home. There's some kind of national emergency. There's no fuel available. The the highways are congested. You have to abandon the vehicle, and you have a 15-mile walk to your house. All that... Exercise, All that conditioning, all that training that you've spent doing just by taking a walk every day now pays off. And that reminds me of one little tip I'm going to give you here at the end of the, today's show. This is something so overlooked. If you work in an office where you wear dress shoes, especially ladies, you wear dress shoes every day, you better have in your bug-out bag or in your vehicle or even in your desk drawer at work, uh, and I don't like the desk drawer thing unless you also have them in your vehicle because it's easy to forget them, a pair of comfortable walking shoes or a pair of comfortable walking boots, something like that. You don't want to have to cover five miles in a pair of loafers, guys. Uh, I used to run all over New York City wearing shoes like you have to. Wear when you're wearing a suit, um, and it would suck with all the distance we would cover on foot wearing shoes like that. I found the most comfortable pair that I could. And guys, that uh, if you're looking for a comfortable pair of dress shoes, check out a, ba- a brand called Nunn Bush. N U N N B U S H. And uh, I've usually bought them at a department store called Kohl's. And I, you know, since I run my own company, it's casual dress, and we don't really wear loafers to work anymore, so it's not an issue for me, but back when I was in the corporate environment, um, I wore those shoes extensively. Look for the ones with gel in the heels, but even with those, if you have to cover five or ten miles, you'd be better off with a good pair of tennis shoes, so make sure you have those included in your vehicle or your bug out bag. So I think that kind of wraps it up for the day. And I hope it's helped you think, you know, just a little bit outside the box and more practically. And it's got you into the mentality, if you're not already there, of the incremental approach a little bit every day. As I finish today, I also want to throw out, this is probably going to be the last opportunity to join uh, the Survival Podcast, Supporting Members Brigade, as a beta member. Uh, for you beta members that have already joined, thank you very much for your support. And I wanted to let you know that we actually got three videos done this weekend. Now, don't go log into your account just yet, uh, because I haven't made them available in the back uh, your back office yet. But I'm going to do that sometime today, and when I do, I'll send an email to all the beta members saying there's three videos there. Now, the reason I'm going to close the beta program, it's probably only going to be for three or four days, uh, but I'm going to close the beta program just so that the people that are in there now can watch the videos, move around, navigate, give me some feedback, make sure nothing's going to break uh, before I let it let it wide open. And we're going to be doing more videos this weekend coming up. The videos that we did were just a little short one on multiple harvests from broccoli plants, because I don't think most people realize how many times you can can harvest broccoli. It's not just cutting that one big head off. I did one on building uh, a string and uh, pole trellis for climbing beans or uh, peas. And we did the strawberry pot one, which is one that people were excited about. That one came out really great. It's about 15 minutes long and you even get to see my wife, Dorothy, participate in it when I got her out from behind the camera. So that's going to be a really cool thing for the supporting members brigade. Supporting members brigade is for people that want to support the show. Yes, there's additional content. No, I'm not taking away anything I've been giving up to you until now. The forum, the blog, the podcast. Free for eternity. I'll never charge for them. Older episodes of the podcast first hundred and twenty-five episodes available in a zip file download from the back office in groups of twenty-five. So that's that's one thing that's there. The video we're starting to put there, and there's some other documentation and things that I'm starting to build up, so there'll actually be something in return for your money. But you know, understand it's really about if you like this show and you think it's worth a quarter an episode, it's a contribution to help us make the show even better. Because I'm really working hard to make move into where this is going to be my full-time job, guys. This is what I'm going to do. Uh, eventually, it's, it's, you know, maybe this year uh, that I make that move, but by next year, it's definitely happening. We're making the big bug out. We're going to Arkansas. This is what I'm going to do every day. I'm going to spend five to seven hours a day on this show. The show's going to stay 30 to 60 minutes long, but I'm going to do more research, more content, and we're really going to do some cool videos. My wife was great on camera with me. I think the video section. For the supporting members, brigade is going to be great, and all of this stuff costs money, and I got to make a living. So this is, uh, you know, my thought was a quarter of an episode isn't too much to ask on a voluntary basis. So those of you who have joined, great. And uh, there's what's called the foundational wall. I think there's about 20 slots left on that wall, and when they're gone, they're gone. And all that is is a page. that has got a bunch of look, brick-looking things on it with a name and a sponsor website. And uh, there's actually about 20 left. Those of you who have joined Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. I have not updated the wall since then. I'm going to do wall updates tonight, so your name and your sponsored site will be on the wall tonight. If you tell me you're not going to sponsor a website, I want everybody to have a sponsored website, so I'll assign you one. So really think before you tell me you don't want to sponsor a website, uh, because it's important that the wall look uniform. It's going to make it look like a wall. Uh, So I'll assign somebody like, you know, Gun Owners Rights or NRA or Boy Scouts of America or, you know, Second Amendment Foundation, or I'll assign you something if you don't pick one, so you may want to pick one. Anyway, again, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Makes you wonder where your money went You can scream And you can holler It really doesn't matter Cause it all gets spent